The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. On this episode, Mike addresses the elephant in Bill Murray's room <laughs> by sharing his thoughts on the actor's 1996 film, Larger Than Life. We'll next count off our bottom five sidekicks, share a couple staff picks, and then discover what flavor of cinematic revenge Mike has selected for me for our next show. But before all that, hide your peanuts and any mice that you might have scurrying around while we... Roll the trailer. The guy called about the elephant. Elephant. This summer. Okay, honey, where's the stairs? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hit the road with the other elephant man. That's cold. Get away. Get away from there. Help. Don't do it. Can you swim? And experience a whole new breed of friendship. <laughs> Be my friend, please. <laughs> Want some of me? Stay out of this. Stay out of this, girl. Want some of me? Bill Murray. How much is your salad bar? $4.95. No. I mean the entire salad bar. <laughs> to go, please. Larger than life. Mike, 1996 was a year full of memorable cinema. The Independence Day rocked the theaters the hardest during the summer. And it took home the honor of the highest grossing film of the year with uh, about 800 million in ticket sales. I wonder if we adjusted that for inflation, what that would be in it would, like three trillion or something. Yeah, it, yeah it's like a quarter <laughs> Spider-Man, I think. <laughs> and if you're not into the box office receipts, 96 also rewarded cinephiles with a few big time critical darlings, including I know you don't love them, but Wes Anderson's debut, Bottle Rocket. Danny Boyle's iconic train spotting, and yes, the Cohen brothers, now considered classic Fargo. What's incredible to me is that this year was somehow also chock full of duds, <laughs> like like serious all-time clunkers. Like we need episodes of this show for all of these, probably. Ooh, a '96 retrospective. Yeah, like seriously, we could do it. The, to, to name a few, we've got the uh, the John Carpenter sequel, Escape from L.A. Uh, Pamela Anderson's train wreck barbed wire mm -hmm. and by all that is unholy in the universe the Whoopi Goldberg starring abomination Theodore Rex there's a great chance that those are going to be future episodes I'm not going to lie <laughs> just because you talked about them today does not mean they're off the list <laughs> well somehow I didn't give you any of those movies and not instead <laughs> I <laughs> and I assigned you instead with a completely forgotten about pothole in the career of Bill Murray to me, sight unseen, the synopsis of this thing reads like career suicide. But perhaps, just perhaps, for you, this movie took wing like some mighty Dumbo piloted by Lou Loomis, a Cinderella story that stole your heart and saved you from cinematic despair. What say you, good sir? Did larger than life trample you underfoot or lift you up by its mighty trunk? Is there... A middle option. <laughs> What's my other middle of the road choice here? Man, that is, those are high stakes. I guess I want to start off by saying 
It finally happened. You, sir, managed to finally do it. I had to watch a movie on Tubi. What the fuck is Tubi? It's, as best I can tell, it's Netflix with commercials, which is basically just what the goddamn television was. I, so I had to actually download Tubi. Larger than life might be the Tubi of movies. It's like technically sure it's a movie. It's definitely not a good one. It's not terrible. I mean, it works, but it's Tubi. <laughs> so, so here we are, larger than life. What are the rules? What are the, the rules they tell actors? Don't work with children yep. and don't work with animals. Yep. I think they tell everybody else don't work with Bill Murray, but they didn't tell that to the elephant. I have to say that hot off the heels of Kingpin, a movie that I think is hilarious. I love Kingpin comes larger than life where Bill Murray plays Jack Corcoran, who finds out his father dies and inherits this elephant. Now, it's set up at the beginning of the movie that Murray is a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. That's the movie that I really wish we had had. You know, the mm -hmm. beginning of Groundhog Day, when we see Phil Connors as the weatherman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning yeah. of this movie, we see... Jack Corcoran as the motivational speaker. He's at like the International Upholstery Association, whatever. And he's yeah. got the mic and he's doing kind of these group team building exercises. It's really pretty good stuff. The movie has that classic man is driven crazy by a, a misbehaving animal thing. Mm -hmm. It's right along with Turner and Hoocher, Beethoven, Bedtime yeah, right. for Bonzo, if you want to go back a little ways. Those movies are comedy classics, and this is larger than life. <laughs> and yeah. I actually am pleased to tell you that I think this is a, a hidden gem of a Bill Murray performance. He's hot off of being Big Earn, Big Earn McCracken in Kingpin. Yeah, but a lot of not everybody is 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 a huge Big Earn advocate. You know what I mean? Like, Yo, sure, but that is an acquired taste of a performance. Yeah, but it's that part of his career, right? Where he's, yeah, he is, is starting to transition a little bit from that sad clown, the the kind of wise-ass hangdog Bill right. Murray. And he's becoming a little more acerbic. Right now, as he gets mm -hmm. a little bit older, he goes from being that sarcastic wise-ass like Peter Venkman right. and is right. moving more towards Phil Connors, the asshole in Groundhog Day. Sure. This is kind of right in the middle here. And I have to say, if you like Bill Murray and if you think Bill Murray's funny, all the reasons why that is true are available to you in Larger Than Life. Mm. It's just that nobody knows about it because it's a completely <laughs> forgettable and by the numbers elephant movie. <laughs> is this is this like a any which way but loose kind of situation with like Clint Eastwood and the chimp? Yeah, and it's a that little kind bit of thing more... Or planes trains and automobiles but with an elephant like murray Got has it. to planes trains and automobiles the elephant across the country where he's gonna sell her first to linda fiorentino who runs a circus and she's kind of this sadistic elephant trainer ultimately <laughs> to janine garofalo who's the uh the nice elephant lady from the zoo who's gonna bring the elephant back to the jungle and let it run with the other elephants right, i guess yeah. i don't know i'm not sure. sure i have to tell you though going into this movie if you love Bill Murray, the elephant is at least as good on screen as Dan Aykroyd is in most things. Oh, <laughs> like, ow, yeah. Oh. Sorry, shots I just, fired. Yeah, shots wow. fired. Yeah, oh, that's fine. Shit. I guess you know what? It's cold, if man. I can, yeah, Mur Murray and the elephant, Murray and Dan Aykroyd. You know, potato, potato for this guy here. Ah. But 
One of my favorite performances in this movie, it's a little role, is Lois Smith. You mentioned Twister. Aunt Maggie right. from Twister. Aunt in Maggie. this, she plays uh, the tattooed woman. So she's got like head-to-toe body <laughs> tattoos. And she's very Tasty funny. Tasty cow, Aunt Meg. Tasty cow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's almost hard to believe. And this, I think, explains a lot of why Larger Than Life is a movie nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Is because as much as there's all this star power on the screen... It is almost matched by the lack of star power behind the scene. (laughs) It was directed by a guy named Howard Franklin, who directed three movies ever. One was Quick Change, which inexplicably is another clown-centric Bill Murray movie. Yep. (laughs) A Joe Pesci 1940s period picture called The Public Eye, where he plays a photojournalist. Because, Jay, I don't know about you, when I think of Joe Pesci, I think of 1940s (laughs) photojournalism, right? That's a movie I, I can't imagine is not a bigger thing. And, and and then this movie, Larger Than Life, that's it. The screenwriter has written exactly one feature film ever. This one. <laughs> so here we are, Larger Than Life. And it really is too bad because the only way you discover that this is a movie is if you're going through Bill Murray's filmography. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's probably how you came across it, I think. Uh, no, it's not because I thought it was Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> I thought I thought that Bill Murray, I kept seeing Bill Murray in army fatigues uh-huh. with like Ray Liotta and an elephant and I was thinking to myself, "Oh, right, why was Bill Murray ever in a movie with an elephant?" Like, what was Operation Dumbo Drop? And then I looked up Operation Dumbo Drop, and it wasn't the Bill Murray movie. So I'm like, wait, did I just have a Mandela effect? Like, did I just make up a movie? And then I looked, and I went, no, Mother Grabbers, there is one. (laughs) It's called Larger Than Life. What the shit is this? It's the movie directed by the guy that he made Quick Change with. And then inexplicably, this Howard Franklin fella also wrote the absolute trash movie that Murray starred in called The Man Who Knew Too Little. Afterward, mm. he's a, he was the screenwriter on that one. What the hell did this guy have over Murray at this Yeah, point there's a file career? somewhere. There must be a there's file gotta somewhere, be some I guess. Sort of, I, mean, I was like really, really curious. This movie <laughs> is a real case of missing the fucking boat because Operation Dumbo Drop came out one year earlier. And was basically the exact same movie. So much so that we kept confusing the two. Imagine the real heartache of having Operation Dumbo Drop, of all things, come out and realizing like, oh, I just fucking made Operation Dumbo Drop and I still have to put it out. I imagine they really thought they were onto something. I got Bill Murray. We got this fun elephant road movie. This is going to kill at the box office in between Twister and Independence Day. Surely yeah, right. we have yeah. to have one for the young audience. Nope. No nope. Operation Dumbo Drop lands a year earlier. It's like the cruelest boat you could ever miss. And you want to know the craziest part? <laughs> True fact. It is the same goddamn elephant in both movies. Oh, get out. No, as a matter of fact, it turns out this <laughs> elephant might be the Steve Buscemi of elephants because... He was He's the elephant in everything. It was the elephant in Water for Elephants in Operation Dumbo Drop. And like you look up a, an elephant movie made any time in the, the mid 90s to mid 2000s. It's this goddamn elephant. I'm also here to report. I, I think it's important that our audience knows this, that there isn't, in fact, 21 minutes of the 1988 George Burns comedy 18 again in the middle of this movie. 
I just fell asleep at one point and fucking Tubi <laughs> kept playing the next blockbuster in its lineup, which was 18 again, starring George Burns. And when I woke up, it took me 21 minutes to figure out that I was no longer watching Larger Than Life. I was so confused. <laughs> he thought he was in Oh God Book 2. He didn't know what was happening. <laughs> how I was doing the math. I was like, was how old was George Burns when... Larger than life came out. Bill he Murray has hundred fifteen. Bill Murray hasn't been on screen in a while, and I was like, "Oh no, I fell asleep." Okay, yeah, I I've that. done that. I've done that as well, where I've where I've fallen asleep and another movie has started, and I've sort of become immersed in the other movie. Yeah, it was almost like a like a like a like a lost highway situation where, but Lynch <laughs> did it on purpose in Lost it's, Highway. It's not a good sign for that original movie, is it? It's re- it really isn't. So you do you think that this was a paycheck for Murray? Like, is this one of those ones where he's like, just needed to pay the mortgage or he just put down on like some sort of $6 million house? I don't think so, because I will say Bill Murray seemed to be doing his Bill Murray thing. He wasn't just phoning it in. Hmm. I think I've seen Bill Murray uninterested in a movie before. And you can kind of see it. In this, I feel like, I don't know, it was like a family barbecue that he's like, ah, you know what, fuck it, I'll go. I'll just make the best of the day, right? (laughs) I really do think, though, if you're a fan of Bill Murray, it's kind of this great secret Bill Murray performance that a lot of us haven't had before. Yeah. I think any one of us would say, man, if there was like a, a secret treasure chest, like a vault that they could unlock and kind of a classic Bill Murray movie could come out of it. Right. Well, it's not this movie, but it is kind of this performance. It, I, I kind of, I'm a little psyched that you gave it to me because I <laughs> never would have seen this movie. It's like one of those blind boxes that you get. <laughs> the Bill Murray blind box. That's oh, there's right. an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe I've said everything I have to say about Larger Than Life. Really? A, a little bit. It's Bill Murray yeah. and an elephant going from here to there. <laughs> You may be shocked to discover that he comes to really care about the elephant by the end of this little road trip. You don't say. Yeah, it is as by the book misbehaving elephant movie as you can possibly imagine. I thought I read somewhere that the elephant like saves a church during a typhoon or something. It holds up a wall near the end of the movie. Does that happen? I mean, that might Or does that happen in eight? Was that in 18 again? It might have been during the part I fell asleep for. I'm not going to lie to you. That could have happened. I'm not sure. For the millions of people listening around the world who thought that there were 21 minutes of 18 again in Larger Than Life, there are not. There might be a lot of Tubi watchers out there. You don't know. Oh, are we going to get hate mail? Is that, is there like, are there a whole bunch of like people who stand Tubi and we're going to, we're going to hear about it? If our listeners are upset with Mike about his, his disdain for Tubi right now, you can write us at Mike at filmjitsu.net. Let us know your love of Tubi notwithstanding i'm gonna hope the freeform <laughs> audience comes to my rescue or whatever the hell that is <laughs> ultimately i guess i i'm not sure we netted out on my most central question about larger than life which was who's the sidekick is bill murray the sidekick or is the elephant Clearly, the elephant is the sidekick here, but actually what's kind of cool about it is because it's essentially a road movie, there's a lot of sidekicks along the way, kind of like in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Well, considering that there's so many sidekicks in there, I guess our pick for our bottom five this week 
is pretty perfect. And so we decided that with your review, we were going to tally off our bottom five sidekicks. Uh, I'm interested in knowing how you composed your list and what criteria you used. I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what is a sidekick or what, you know, what's not a sidekick. Is it a supporting character? Is it a... Is it a, a best part? friend? Is yeah, it a, yeah, I, I, yeah. I didn't get too in the weeds. The only rule I gave myself was that I opted not to do any comic book sidekicks. Right. So I, I'm a little all over the place in why I picked these particular sidekicks for uh, the list. I didn't have any sort of solid reasoning one way or the other, but I will start with a movie from 1951. And uh, the sidekick here is Gort, the robot. From the day the earth stood still. Really? Wow. Yes. You considered him a sidekick? He's the sidekick of Klaatu. He, Klaatu comes to earth. and <laughs> oh, Of course. Right, yeah, right. He comes with this message that all of humanity will be destroyed if they don't live peacefully. It's kind of that mutually assured annihilation. Yeah. And they have to live in peace or Gort will laser beam the fucking species right off the face of the planet. <laughs> this particular sidekick is basically a god weapon. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I guess when a guy shows up in his sidekick, like this is no Jay and Silent Bob. This is like a 30-foot robot that can nuke the planet with his face. So, you know, maybe he's not a wingman as much as he's a bodyguard. I don't know. Maybe it's not exactly a sidekick, but I think when your sidekick has the ability to destroy humanity... It's enough to be a bottom five for me. And so that's why I went with Gort at number five. That's a fun one. It's really interesting. It's a neat interpretation of what Gort is. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. I never in a billion years would have known. Look, my list is way, way, way more straightforward, much more conventional, I think, in its thinking, except for my number five. And I think I have the right read on this, but a lot of people, I think, would argue with me. And that would be... None other than the Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. So, okay, look, while the movie is wonderfully odd and it is among my favorites, it's nonsensical and it's a fun mishmash of special effects and martial arts and Eastern mysticism. But Big Trouble in Little China gets most of its mileage off of this really bizarre and basic premise. What if you tell an action-adventure story from the sidekick's perspective. And in this case, the big-name star of the flick, the, the almost always great Kurt Russell, plays Jack Burton, a swaggering, macho, John Wayne type who yeah. actually has zero in the way of practical skills uh -huh. or experience when it comes to saving his friend Wang's fiancé from the clutches of an evil Chinese sorcerer named Lo Pan. So Russell and director John Carpenter seem to be having like a friggin' blast subverting audience expectations at like every turn. But if you think about it, you know, man, like uh, Jack is really useless. <laughs> like <laughs> you were the first person to point this out to me is that you really blew my mind one time when you're like, you know, that Jack is the sidekick. <laughs> and it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God, it was like the clouds parted. And I saw it for the first time. I was like. Santo is so right about this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. He's a mess all the way through. Like, he, he kills Lopan, for sure. Like, that actually does happen. But if you think about it, that was pretty straightforward because all the hard work had been done and he was in the flesh. 
mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So he was actually vulnerable. And that's he was just when a little weak him. old man at that point. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like at that point, well, relatively anyway. It's always Wang that was really doing the heavy lifting, whether it was like knocking out a bunch of guards while Jack's trying to pull that knife out of his boot. (laughs) Remember, Wang was the one that was dueling. It was Rain. He battles Rain and they have that jump fight with the swords Mm -hmm. and they're going at each other. It's Wang all the way across. And when it isn't Wang, it's Egg Shen. It's never Jack. Yeah. Like, all right. So for me, I took what is essentially the lead protagonist of a movie and said, no, you know what? The real thing is, is that he is the sidekick. So that is my number five. I have a hard time accepting that this is your number five because it's such (laughs) a good pick. Like, it is better than anything else I'm about to say. It's so good. It's so good. Thanks, man. But I'm going to try because my number four is a classic. Mm. And this is 1969's Midnight Cowboy, Dustin Hoffman as oh, Ratso sure. Rizzo. Uh-uh. Ratso is sort of Hollywood's classic shitty yeah, sidekick. A perfect the, pick. Ratso takes an already pretty astray Joe, played by John Voight, and leads him very astray in a very New York City in the 60s kind of way. He's a con man who he's disabled by, I think it's implied polio. So he's deteriorating through this movie. He lives mm-hmm. this miserable existence joe is the closest thing he has to a friend and he can't even help himself from stealing from him and taking advantage from him he kind of gets his hooks into joe not out of any kind of genuine friendship but because he sees him as a chance for survival like his ticket to miami which is where he wants to end up it's a really great performance by dustin hoffman yeah. I mean, they call him Ratso, and he really yeah. is. Like, he's just a he's, human rat. He takes on vermin. He looks like yeah, vermin. He he's really got this almost does. rat. It is he strange really because he's one of those actors who actually changes the physicality of his face mm-hmm. in roles, where in another movie, you would never think of him as being rat faced. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you think of Ratso Rizzo, when you, th- when you conjure the image of him, you almost see him squinch. Yep. And of course, I'm walking here. I'm walking I'm here. I'm walking here. Yeah, yeah, he takes on that physicality yeah. That, yeah. that Dustin Hoffman was really so good at doing, especially at this early part of his career. Sure. But yeah. I think in a lot of ways, Ratso might be the classic Hollywood bottom five sidekick. I'm so glad that you that you had the presence of mind to include it, because I don't think we could have our two lists not have that on it. Yeah, sure. And and still call ourselves a legit movie podcast. <laughs> right, right. Maybe a lot of our listeners out there haven't ever sat down and taken the time to watch Midnight Cowboy. You have to watch it because you mean to watch it. It's not a movie that you bump yeah. into a lot. It's not a movie that your sort of average everyday film watcher throws on when they're watching Netflix or Tubi or Mountain Dew Plus or whatever Tubi. the hell is out there. So... I I really hope that our listeners will seek out Midnight Cowboy because it's a great film. See, that's a a really quality piece of cinema. So I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to go with another quality piece of cinema. My number four, when I talk about Olaf from Frozen. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You're going to take down Olaf? Okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe I just don't like Josh Gad, but I actually did like him in Pixels. So, you know, like, so maybe it's not... So maybe it's not that. Yeah, I actually liked him in Pixel. I thought he was very, very funny in it. You're the same maybe guy it's... who shit all over Moana recently. What is going on with yeah, you? You've got I, a cold because, heart. 
I do. I do. And I think I simply hate Olaf. <laughs> just like, you know what? The easiest way to fill up a list like this would have just be do them animated movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. Because they always have these annoying sidekicks that seem to tag along with like a ton of the protagonists. Like oh, you think God, of Shrek. Yeah. Shrek you think and of the, the donkey. donkey. Uh-huh. Mulan had Mushu. Yep. And it's over and over. It's in the DNA of these movies. And in no animated film. Is there a better example of this than the especially irritating magical friend conjured by sisters Elsa and Anna, who then returns when Elsa accidentally immerses the kingdom into an eternal winter? I think that's probably the worst part of what she did. <laughs> she brought this asshole back. He's supposed to represent love and innocence. Uh, to me, all of these sidekicks in all of these movies are there for one reason only. Merchandising. Merchandising. <laughs> and I remember my own now 11-year-old, then probably about three, being all swoony over an Olaf plush. And you would hear, like, Josh Gad's annoying wine spill out of it. Hi, everyone. Oh, I'm Olaf, and I like warm hugs. You know, it's just... <laughs> So at my number four, Olaf from Frozen. <laughs> I don't know what to say about your cold heart. I know this is, this is, I feel sad about this. I couldn't beat up on a guy like Olaf who, I don't know, I see him as kind of the, the, the heart of a movie. A lot of those sidekick characters are sort of the Sebastians. Uh, and sometimes they're the conscience of the movie, like Jiminy Cricket, sure. And we've been talking about a lot of classic movies and you decided to beat up on Disney a little bit. I might get there by the time this list is done, but I'm going to take a big leap away from some of the classic films we've been talking about because my number three is McLovin. This fucking oh. kid, this <laughs> fucking kid, McLovin. Now don't get me wrong. This is one of those, you know, this bottom super five bad, situations. Right? Super I bad? love super bad. Okay. Super bad is a movie that I will just, it's still to this day makes me laugh my ass off. I saw it in the theater. I went back the next day with someone else to see it again because I just I really went for it. It makes me laugh. Like if you can't laugh at the stupid bullshit in in Superbad, I I don't know what to say about your outlook on life. It's just but goddamn it McLovin, played by Christopher Mintz Plass, who really mm -hmm. killed it in the role of that loser friend who you have to keep around because he has the fake ID. Like he's the <laughs> friend that nobody likes but just won't fucking go away. It's such a good performance by this kid who really hasn't managed to come out of being McLovin. Unfortunately, he's just always no, going to be He's pretty much always playing that. Yeah, yeah, which is really too bad for him, I guess. But his, I his don't know. Name, I mean, he, he used that persona very, very well in Role Models, which did. is absolutely wonderful. And uh, he was I in the, the two Kick-Ass movies, which were, which were pretty decent. Yeah. So even though he has sort of been pigeonholed and stereotyped yeah. yeah he has managed to ha carve himself out a niche yeah you know? it, it didn't kill his career the way that let's say napoleon dynamite might have done for oh, john Hader. Geez, john Hader, but yeah but it is going to say mclovin on this kid's tombstone there's no way around that <laughs> wait you, you changed your name to mclovin <laughs> mclovin what kind of a stupid name is that fogel what are you trying to be an irish r&b singer Oh, they, they let you pick any name you want when you get down there. And you landed on McLovin. Yeah, I was between that and Muhammad. Why the fuck would it be between that and Muhammad? Why don't you just pick a common name like a normal person? Muhammad is the most commonly used name on earth. Read a fucking book for once. Fogel, have you ever actually met anyone named Muhammad? Have you actually ever met anyone named McLovin? 
as far as sidekicks go, there there isn't a lot more chaos you could enter into your Saturday night than a guy like McLovin. I might be your McLovin. That's my problem. As I sat here and thought about it, I was like, shit, I might be Santos McLovin. Because one of the funniest relationships in that movie is between the cops, Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, and McLovin, who is younger than he is. And I thought to yeah. myself, back in the early 2000s, when I showed up in Santos comic book shop and then didn't leave... And, oh, oh shit, maybe I was his McLovin. Am I your McLovin? <laughs> no, you're not my McLovin, but you might be another person on my list further oh, down no. that is very similar to McLovin. So we'll go, we'll we'll get there. You're not my McLovin, so Thank stop God. worrying about it. I've been worrying about it ever since I fell you asleep ridiculous. watching Larger Than Life. <laughs> well, number three for me, you actually mentioned earlier, and it's very, very obvious uh, and that would be Hooch from Turner Hooch. Mm. This this movie is absolutely loved by people of a certain age. I gotta say though, I like K- I saw Canine first, and I like that one better. Is that with- a Belushi movie? <laughs> yeah, not Jim Belushi. Good- Jim, <laughs> not the dude. Good Belushi. We could have a whole Jim Belushi podcast. Like we could, we, we could just go down the Jim Belushi filmography. No, but- I wouldn't say the canine's one of them. That was a that was a fun one. I, I really liked that when I was younger. And I think I would still like it, even watching it now. It had grittier crime. You know, the way the bad guys shoot up. <laughs> Is that James what you go Belushi's into a Turner car? and Hooch for? Yeah, yeah man. For the Batman, what do you want? <laughs> You because want Hart- in Turner Hooch and Hooch to duct tape his head? <laughs> Turner and Hooch is so incredibly uneven in tone, right? It wants to, t- you know, it wants Tom Hanks to be a cop, like this meticulous cop that, you know, is whatever. And, and it, it's ridiculous. Like, he, I never believe Turner's character at all the whole time. It's the odd couple. It's just the odd couple with a dog. With a dog. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. The odd couple didn't solve crimes. There was a harder edge to canine that made more sense to me. So I was like, all right, you know, the, the bad guys in Turner and Hooch, they just, they kill like a mechanic that's friends with Tom Hanks. Hanks's character is so uptight, you can't believe that he has any friends to begin with. So it's kind of like, what is happening here? Second of all, it has a better dog. <laughs> like a German Shepherd over a Mastiff, like any day of the week. All that drool, the ending of Turner and Hooch, you know, not to spoil a movie from 1992. Yeah. But they fucking kill the dog at the end. <laughs> and even if you didn't like him, a pretty major cinematic rule is that you don't kill the fucking dog. Excessive dog murder, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> neither the dog uh in canine or the one in turner and hooch are initially great pairings with their respective humans but in the case of canine it's it's belushi that's more the issue while in turner and hooch it's the goddamn dog that tears up the joint that coats everything in slobber what's worse is you know that fucker made me cry so screw you hooch well i'm sorry that david fincher didn't direct my favorite dog movie i don't know what to say <laughs> It's your favorite, too, of course. It's, of a, course. it's a great pick, actually, for the reasons that you're saying. This movie, her, Turner and Hooch has a soft spot for me because my mom loved Turner oh, and Hooch. Well, oh, so, see, now but, we're going to bring moms for, into it. But for the reasons <laughs> that you're saying, because you're right, yeah, Hooch right. is such a fucking terrible dog to <laughs> have around. Jerk. I mean, for all the reasons you're talking about, it, that, that means that it was, I think, ultimately, the more effective, terrible dog partner performance. It because is, it is. He's clearly the worst dog to have yes, around. Absolutely. That was the point of the movie. So, uh, absolutely, that is in the spirit of this list. I, I would, I would have been offended actually if you had picked the canine dog as the worst partner. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because really, I, I think the honor goes to Hooch. Yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> I'm glad we got to talk about that. Well, <laughs> speaking of throwing cold water onto things, Jay, maybe I'm going to be that like Quentin Tarantino, self-satisfied, pulling apart pop culture bullshit. It, the Seven Dwarfs. Here's here's my thing, right? All seven of them. All, all fucking seven of them. Because... Well, you know, Happy, Grumpy, Wheezy, Sleazy, Doug, the whole, all seven of them. <laughs> Carl. Because, yeah, here's the thing. I value our friendship. You are important to me. But if you died, there's no fucking way I'm keeping you in a glass coffin in my living room. <laughs> like, not even as a goddamn goof. Not even for our friends to come over and, like, let's take selfies with dead Santo. I would never. That's so fucking Are you sure? Because that sounds yes. great. <laughs> yes, these are seven sketchy motherfuckers. Forget that whole like passe, you know, seven guys living with one woman, whatever. Fuck that. <laughs> They're weird dudes who, first of all, can you name all seven? Let's do that real quick. Can you name uh, the seven no. orbs? Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. No, no way. Yeah. Sneezy, lazy, dopey, grumpy, bashful. Yeah. Doc. That's, yeah, there's Doc. And like, uh, what the fuck is Doc's deal? Who put Doc in charge? We got this one, like, holier-than-thou Papa Smurf dwarf who's running around yelling at all the other fucking dwarfs. Like, I, is he... Di- I didn't... Did I he didn't go know to dwarf was... medical school? First off, and, it, and here we are, like, do we even get to use the term dwarves anymore? It seems like a shitty thing to call people. Yeah, I know. I don't you... know. So, I, all seven of those little fuckers. <laughs> a, a witch comes to the house. You got one job. You got one teenage girl that is staying at your apartment... And you just got to keep her from getting killed. So when a fucking witch shows up with an apple, not a gun, an apple, and you can't even keep her safe, then like there are seven of you. You all have to go to the fucking hi-ho, hi-ho mine at the same time. <laughs> like you couldn't have left Snazzy back to keep an eye on the girl. Like what the fuck Snazzy. is that about? <laughs> I was, when I was trying to count off the names, I'm pretty sure I went into Smurfs. Yeah, so I'm glad have. you named the Smurfs. Yeah. Yeah, I can bet. You know what it is? It's it's happy and happy, grumpy, dopey, sleazy, sneezy, bashful. Sleazy. Get out of here. Yeah. There's no happy, one named no. Sleazy. Happy, grumpy, dopey, sneezy, bashful, <laughs> doc. There's another one. Ha- yeah, sleepy, sleepy. I think it's forgotten a lot. I think I forgot about happy, but I mean, that's just par for the course with me. So. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you remembered grumpy instantaneously. <laughs> I think he was first. Yeah. Look, I know it's an animated classic. I know it's important for cinematic history. Those little fuckers can go fly a kite as far as I'm concerned. And it's just a weird fucking situation. (laughs) Everything about it is super sketchy. Imagine writing a letter back home like, Dear Dad, everything's fine. I'm I'm living with seven fucking weirdos in their hole in the ground. They work in a mine. Don't worry, it's totally cool. Anyway, gotta go. There's a witch at the door. Like, fuck you. Oh, man. Wow. (laughs) I can't top seven. I can't top seven entries in one choice. (laughs) You could just do Olaf six more times if you wanted. (laughs) But uh, my number two is definitely, I think, the most annoying on my list. And that is none other than, and this is as obvious as it gets for me, to be perfectly frank. Uh, It's Willie Scott from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm. Some people found Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark. As a bit of a patience tester, I really found her as charismatic and feisty and strong. You know, she was the winner of drinking contests and she was pretty good with a torch when dealing with that chamber full of snakes. None of this is true. None of it of Willie Scott, because 
All she did was scream and screech her way through the entire running time of Temple of Doom mm. with so much wide-eyed horror that I began to wonder how the hell she hadn't died of fright. I'm not picking on Willie. She went through a ton of really weird shit with that crazy dinner with the bugs and the monkey's brains. The monkey that brains. When Marion was forced to be a damsel in distress, it was more because she was outnumbered and not because she was delicate. Mm-hmm. Willie is constantly a damsel in distress at all times. And the filmmaker spends so little time making her likable or earning her any amount of respect that by the end, when Indy like whips his whip and wraps her up and pulls her close for a kiss, we're like short round saying, no time for love, Dr. Jones. <laughs> you wish she would have ended up in the volcano like 87 <laughs> minutes sooner in the movie. You just you're you're so over that character. So like she fast. she fell off the raft when they jumped out of the plane. Yeah, and you're like, you know what? Good. Let's move on from that. It's rough because she's one note yeah. the whole time. And it's not it's not Kate Capshaw's fault. Nope. It's the fault of the screenwriters. It's the fault of just making her be this really weak, unsympathetic person. You just, she had no real identity other than she would hang on the arm of rich men. And then what she do? She hangs on the arm of a suddenly potentially enriched man. Because at the end, it's fortune and glory, kid. So I think Willie Scott definitely belongs on... Uh, she's as much, to me, a, an obvious choice or a, or a choice that has to be on one of these mm. lists as Razzo Rizzo. Wow. So, yeah. So here's an idea. Better movie? Indiana Jones... And Hooch, I'd have watched the shit out of that. I would have watched the shit out of that. Give me Indian Hooch any day. Any day of the week. If you make Hooch a German Shepherd, I'd say okay. All right. Well, we'll get on it. You hear? It, that, you no know what? Drool. That idea Just is no. Leave the drool out. That idea is no less stupid than Joe Pesci as a photojournalist in the '40s. So we've been we've been down that road. My number one pick. It's a cheat. You know I love a good cheat. I stand uh-huh. by it. My number one pick, bottom five sidekicks, is the actual 1992 movie Sidekicks. Sidekicks. I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> I knew someone, I knew you were going to do this. Excellent. That's, that's the one with Ch- uh, Chuck Norris, right? Yeah. It's where yeah. Jonathan Brandis <laughs> imagines that he's really Chuck Norris's sidekick. And I'm sorry. I, you know, I really, I have a problem with bullying. I got bullied as a kid. But if there's a kid just openly fantasizing about being Chuck Norris's sidekick everywhere he goes, he kind of has it coming, right? Like, what the fuck is that kid doing? Oh, that's the kid who thinks he's Chuck Norris's sidekick. Not even like he thinks he's Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is his sidekick. The best fantasy this fucking kid has is to play second fiddle to Chuck (laughs) Norris. He even envisions, he's such a loser, he even envisions himself as the number two. Oh, man. This movie is fucking dumb. It's a dumb premise. It has terrible performances because Chuck Norris is a terrible actor. It mm. was directed by Chuck Norris's kid brother, Aaron. Oof. So it's not just Chuck Norris. It's not just <laughs> Jonathan Brandis. No, it's the whole fucking movie. It's called Sidekicks, <laughs> so it counts. It what counts a as shit. a sidekick. It counts as a, Yeah, the movie Sidekick. It's called Sidekicks, so it qualifies. Number one. It definitely came up in consideration for me, just based off the name. And then I realized I hadn't seen it. I wasn't going to watch it. 
-hmm. and I didn't care enough to look it up and do any research or even find out where it was playing. It just was, it was something that occurred to me and I went, no fucking way. And I just moved on from yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you can't put it on your list. That's for <clears throat> right, sure. Well, right. this is a movie that I'm sure I probably watched it and was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. Look at it. What the? I think even in 92, I was like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> Not especially when there's a movie like and I for some reason it continues to come up on this podcast when there's a cloak and dagger movie where yes. you get Dabney Coleman as your imaginary <laughs> sidekick. Right. Oh, man. Then sidekicks can get fucked. I'm sorry. Yeah, so true. So, <laughs> so true. It's and my I love number that. one. Well, my number one, controversial as all get out, this may Ooh. start a fight. The Turner but... and Hooch one wasn't the fight? No. <laughs> this oh, boy. is way worse. I really have to say, if you think about it, Mike, this isn't very different than your McLovin pick. Okay. In fact, it's pretty much the same pick, but okay. a different movie. Okay. And it's Walter Subjack. From The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Now, before you're... Oh, thank God. <laughs> All right? Yeah. I mean, I what can I say about this movie that you wouldn't say better? I mean, okay. honestly, it, it, it fills me with dread to even mention Walter to you, <laughs> as I've seen you sport a costume that made you a dead ringer for yeah. John Goodman's off-kilter Vietnam vet and best buddy to Jeff Bridges the yeah. Dude. I was, fun fact, a photo of me dressed as Walter appeared in High Times Magazine one time, which is hilarious because I was definitely the only guy at Lebowski Fest that was not high. <laughs> so I don't know how I ended up at High Times, but yeah, this is this is territory I'm familiar with. Clearly, then, you, you have to admit as well that Walter is an asshole, you know, just as the dude himself points out. And almost uh-huh. everything he involves himself in, whether it's enforcing the line rule in bowling or... Most upsettingly, opening a coffee can of cremated remains only to have the ash blow back in (laughs) he and the dude's faces. Well, sometimes there's a man. (laughs) Well, he's the man for his time and place. He fits right in there. And Walter is not that man (laughs) at all. (laughs) He likely was never a fit for his time or place. (laughs) The movie probably indicts Walter a bit more than just about anyone else. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like very few are spared with with the possible exception of Donnie. But he pays like another really severe price altogether (laughs) by being, but, but, but it's like his mistake is being surrounded by this league of shockingly inept gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. The the Uh, argument could be made that Donnie dies because of Walter. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. If Walter hadn't started a fight with the, uh, with the nihilists, nihilists. Donnie might not have had that heart attack. He, He would be okay. Yeah, exactly. In sum, after watching The Big Lebowski, one thinks back on Walter and really has one piece of advice for him, something that he instructed Donnie to do time and again. Just shut the fuck up, Walter. <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's such a great pick. I, you have the poster behind your head. I'm yeah, staring we, into the yeah, eyes of Jeff every single Every single time we record, you're staring at The Big Lebowski poster. It's my favorite movie. <laughs> I have traveled cross country to go to Lebowski Fest. I have trophies in my movie room. For trivia, right? Winning trivia contests, right? Yeah. I stole a a glass from a club because Jeff Bridges drank a white Russian out of it while he was on stage. I swiped the glass and brought it home for my my shelf. Like, that's how hardcore I am. So 
even getting into the Lebowski territory, I can see where you thought like, uh oh, what, you know, what's Mary? I'm treading here? But, some water. I I don't want to. <laughs> but it is shocking and appalling that I didn't have Walter on my list because How? The, I don't understand. It's the entire point of Walter. It's the yeah. entire point of Walter. Yeah. The dude says it best. God damn it, Walter. You fucking asshole. Dude, I'm sorry. It's a fucking travesty with you, man. I'm sorry. It was an accident. What was that shit about Vietnam? Everything's a fucking travesty with you, Walter. Yes. And that's, that's it. That's it. Yes. That is yes. it. It's the perfect pick. Oh, thank God. I thought there was some read that maybe I had wrong on it. And I'm like, like, maybe he's not a sidekick. And I'm like, no, they go on some adventures. He's very much a sidekick. He's like, definitely he, the sidekick. Yeah, and the thing that yeah. makes Walter such a great character is despite all that, He's this sweetheart of a guy who just wants to yeah. stick yeah. up for his friends. Like he, you know, his friends take shit from everybody and he doesn't want to take shit. He wants to protect Donnie. He wants to look out for the dude. He, he just does, wants yeah. what's right. Walter's a sweet guy at the end of the day, but everything's a fucking travesty with him. He's just like, um, you know, it's funny. It never occurred to me until just now. But when I think back on the Pixar movie onward, Chris Pratt, voiced a character that i think could have been based a little bit on walter sort of a blowhard heavy set know-it-all you know yeah does that mouth. remind you of anybody let's be honest here i was concerned about about being your sidekick it is absolutely the case that i'm your walter you are it's, not my walter i absolutely at all. no way i'm your ratso rizzo a loudmouth blowhard know-it-all. That is me, a hundred percent over. Anybody listening to this podcast who knows me, I am definitely somebody's Walter Subject, <laughs> without a doubt. Oh my goodness. Jason, that was a lot of fun. That was a good time. I think we're going to leave it up to our listeners to decide who is the sidekick here. I don't want to know, but certainly no. I'm I'm proud to be the Walter to your whatever you might be. You're you're kind of a you're kind of a Jack I'm Burton. Ratso. You're kind of a Jack Burton, I think. That's kind of your jam, man. I think that Neither might be Neither of you. us have a wang. Yeah. <laughs> well, here we are. Thank you. No, that, you, you, you. That's all that we need to say about that. We are now going to get into the part of the show where we recommend a movie that we want our listeners to check out, our staff picks. What do you have for the listeners this week? This week, you know, I rewatched a movie that I come to, I come back to with way more frequency than it deserves any right to have, and that is 2000's The Replacements. This is a super fun ripoff of Major League, but instead of baseball and Tom Berenger, we get football with Keanu Reeves. Mike, you're a football nut, mm -hmm. but... For a passive fan like me, and I am very passive, this was a great time celebrating the high points of the sport while also positively destroying the millionaire crybaby professional players that are part of the reason I turned away from becoming more of an avid fan in my youth. But cynicism aside, this really is a fun and stupid movie with Reeves playing like one of the greatest names ever, Shane Falco, a once great college quarterback who had a treacherously awful final game and pretty much went into hiding ever since, electing instead to scrape barnacles off yachts. <laughs> and while Reeves, like, he's great here as Falco. He brings some really solid physicality and a lot of heart to the role as a guy who's trying to find belief in himself. It's 
the fantastic Gene Hackman as coach Jimmy McGinty that positively steals every scene he is in. Uh, this guy was a master of timing and delivery and subtlety, an all-pro quarterback with dialogue and character. And it's so great watching him strut his stuff in this flick where he gives as good as he gets, but then winks just as often as if acknowledging that he knows it's all silly. Damn, is it fun, you know? It's just so much fun. And again, it, you know, it is. It's it's all been there, done that. It's got a jock jam soundtrack. You say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> no, it tests your no, this tests your patience when it comes to how many times you can hear rock and roll part two in a movie. Oh, oh yeah, okay. But you have to give the cinematographer Tak Fujimoto he of Silence of the Lambs. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Sixth Sense. Yeah. You have to give him a huge wow. amount of credit for making the whole thing look like it was shot by NFL cameramen, who, in my opinion, next to National Geographic, are the sharpest eyes in the world when it comes to tracking motion and keeping everything crisp and frame. But more than anything, just like with Major League, it's the cast chemistry of the replacement players that makes this thing so great to watch over and over again, whether it's Orlando Jones, the fastest man on two legs who unfortunately cannot <laughs> catch, or even John Favreau, he who would later become a mega blockbuster director of Marvel and Disney movies. He plays this overzealous and like, and then some cop turned offensive lineman. <laughs> Everyone here brings something memorable and likable to bear. The movie was directed by Howard Ditch, who, you know, he's not somebody that a lot of people know and maybe they don't even realize. But he directed 16 Candles in Some Kind of Wonderful, two of John Hughes' most loved screenplays. I think a lot of people think that John Hughes wow. directed all of his movies, you know, and they, they forget that yeah, there were other right, folks right. there. He's got a, a bit of a pedigree. <laughs> so The Replacements from 2000. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Would you believe me if I told you I haven't seen it? Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. I, oh, you're kidding. I can't. No, I cannot believe it. You've I've seen never Major seen, League. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, well, I I love football. I don't really love a lot of football movies. I no. love Rudy. Of course, I love Rudy. See, I I can watch football movies all day long, but football and I can watch football games. Yeah. Absolutely. But I I don't obsess over players, and I can't yeah. do the fantasy shit and all that. But but I I certainly enjoy a good game every once in a while for sure. You've definitely given me the nudge that I needed because I don't have a problem with football movies. I just don't find myself gravitating towards them. So if you're going to tell me there's a football game movie worth my time, then I'll check it out. That oh, sounds great. Hell yeah. My staff pick this week is considerably different than <laughs> a, a lighthearted and fun football movie. You recently in our staff pick segment had suggested that our listeners check out Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm -hmm. And I have since caught up with that movie based on your recommendation. And well, I think maybe I was a little cooler on the movie as a whole. The one thing that was undeniable is that Elizabeth Olsen was awesome. In oh, that movie. yeah. So good. For a movie that is kind of silly, the whole Marvel universe is kind of just dopey at this point. Sure. She really brought something the same way she did in WandaVision. She did in Doctor Strange. And so she, for my money saved a movie that I really would have been okay to write off otherwise in a lot of ways. But I'm not here to talk about that movie. I'm here to talk about her first feature role, 2011's Martha Marcy May Marlene, a movie that she starred in in the lead at 22 years old, mm. had never done a film before. She had a 
I think, cameo appearance in one of her, you know, one of the Mary Kate and Ashley movies as a kid. So here she is. It's her first big role. She plays Martha Marcy May Marlene in the movie. It is a movie that stopped me in my tracks when I saw it. She plays a woman with a troubled past who finds herself stuck deep inside a cult in upstate New York with this cult leader, uh, Patrick, played by John Hawks, who is unbelievable in the role of Patrick, the cult leader. He's so good. Another John Hawks Another pick. John Hawks You villain. just love this I, guy. I really do, because between <laughs> Winter's Bone and this, I, I think they're undeniably good performances. The film oscillates between her memories of the past being in the cult and then the present day when she's gotten out of the cult and she's living with her sister, played fantastically by Sarah Paulson, who hasn't seen her sister in a long time and is now taking her in. Her sister is a mess having been in this cult. And the movie kind of starts from those two ends and works its way towards the middle, where we're piecing together what happened in the cult as we're experiencing her paranoia now that she's out. It is a movie that blew me away. I knew Olsen was going to be huge after I mm, saw this. It mm -hmm. was just a stop you in your tracks performance. I know it's cliche, but it, she was hypnotic in this movie. I could not take my eyes off of this performance. Not her look. She, she's a gorgeous woman. There's no doubting that, but that's not what this role is. I mm. could not take my eyes off the performance. I cannot say enough about how real and how believable the role was. Something that, like I said, saves Doctor Strange for me. Yeah, for sure. John yeah. Hawks was terrifying as Patrick, the cult leader, because he's so charming. I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking to myself, well, shit, I could fall for that kind of bullshit. You're almost mm. sitting there as being somebody like leaning forward and listening to him. You're like, you know, this guy's making a little bit of sense. And then, oh, oh right. He's an insane cult leader. Of course. Hmm. I think the movie has to be seen by more people. It was directed by Sean Durkin, who won Best Director at Sundance for this film in, in 2011. Olsen won the Chicago Film Critics Award as the most promising performer. I think they wow. nailed that. The short film that it's based on is on the DVD and is mm. similarly fantastic. One of the best kind of proof of concept short films I've ever seen. Really good. Was that her in it too? Did she it act in that or no, was it somebody else? Oh, it was yeah, somebody it was, else. Yeah. So it was a solid concept just to begin with. And then Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. for me, Martha Marcy May Marlene is one of those measuring stick movies. Like I bring it up sometimes when I meet new people and if they have seen it and they loved it, I'm like, oh, okay, this this is my kind of person. We're gonna be we're mm. gonna be just fine here. So I want all of our listeners to get out and see Martha Marcy May Marlene from 2011. Fascinating pick. I have not seen it. It's one that I've heard bandied about. What I find frequently with these movies, and I'm glad that you bring them back, movies like Winter's Bone and this one, they get lost. Mm. They always get replaced by newer ones that are out on Hulu or whatever else, and they get lost. Let's try to hold this thing up for a little bit longer and get more people to see it. Put more eyes on this thing. I like that you pull them back out, and I think that's great. So Yeah, because um, it stands on its own merit. Yes, yeah. not every movie is a, is a cultural phenomenon. Right. And not every movie gets to exist in the zeitgeist for decades and decades. Right. But some right. things are just too goddamn good to let come and go. And like so, the yeah. replacements. Like the replacements. <laughs> you got it.
Jason, we have come to the part of the show where I get to tell you what film you're going to be watching for our next episode. You made me watch Larger Than Life, which was more of a curiosity than anything really mean-spirited. It's been a while since we've done anything mean-spirited, and I'm not feeling especially mean-spirited, especially after such a fun conversation about sidekicks and all that. So we're going to have fun with our next selection, and I'm going to need your help here. What I need you to do, I'm doing something different. This is going to be fun. I hope our audience is into it. I actually, in this moment, don't know what movie you're going to be watching for our next episode. (laughs) I'm going to need a little help here. What I'm going to ask you to do is I am going to ask you to Google a number generator. A number generator. Uh, Yeah, just Google number generator. Open one up. Okay. All right. All right. Opening one up. Uh, Best random number generator. Okay. Yep. All right. It's going to ask you to set your parameters. Uh, Okay. So I want you Uh, to set it between one and seven. One and seven. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Generate yep. a number. Tell me what, what what number you get. Four. Four. Jason, for our next episode, <laughs> you are going to be watching Police Academy 4, yes. Citizens on Patrol. Yes. Citizens I love that movie. on Patrol. <laughs> Tom Mazursky's in that, right? <laughs> like, uh... Who could possibly know? I can't believe you know that. I don't. Who knows? That's when Bobcat Goldthwait joins... The Force. Well, he does it in three, but he's still on the Force in four, I believe. It's <laughs> This isn't the one where they go to Moscow. No, this is not Mission to Citizens Moscow. Citizens on Patrol? This is Citizens on Patrol. I fucking love this movie. I did. <laughs> Film Jitsu could not exist without at some point addressing the Police Academy franchise. <laughs> and I thought, where's the fun in just me picking? I wanted to put fate in your hands generate a random selection and so it wasn't until this very moment that i knew you'd be watching police academy (laughs) for citizens on patrol from 1987 oh so it could have been it could have been been mission to moscow it could have been mission mission to moscow that would have been rough yeah that one's terrible it could have been the first assignment it could have been police academy six City Under Siege, which I'm City sure is racist siege. as anything. Yeah. I ha- I don't know what that's about, but just based on the title, I'm sure it's super racist. Four, they were still, uh, they were still borderline funny at that point. Uh-huh. I think that was where they the cutoff happened. My suspicion is that this franchise probably has not aged well, and so we're gonna find out. <laughs> but of course, not. we need a bottom five. I was prepared for that. Pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward on this one. We're going to do our bottom five cops. Ooh. Oh, yep. oh, God. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Are you going to go with yes, exactly. inept cops like yeah. the Pink Panther? You know, a detective? Yeah. Does he count? Right. Maybe he does. Right. I don't know. Are you going to go with Bad Lieutenant, who's just kind of a terrible and person. crooked? Yeah, Are you right. going to think of somebody like Denzel Washington from Training, training Day? Training Day, yeah. Who's Too crooked obvious. and evil. There are so many <laughs> yeah. ways that you can put your list together here. I think we're going to have a, a fun and exciting episode in our next time. I wanted to do something just a little bit generous here. Yeah. Let's have, <laughs> let's have fun. Right. Let's keep the ball rolling. Look, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's going to get ugly around here again. I suspect maybe sooner rather than later. This this little back and forth we're up to, it can only last so long. Such is True the nature story. of film jitsu. But for at least one more week, we're going to have a good time and dive in to Police Academy. Well, thank you for the putting us into the eye of the storm. Thank you for sitting down and... and, and being already conversive in the plot and the cast. And like, I, 
I guess I didn't know that you were like a police academy rain man. What the fuck is that about? <laughs> oh, well, until next time, we're your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. And we'll see you next time. The Dan Aykroyd blind box would be Dr. Detroit. You would Mm -hmm. open that up and you'd be like, oh, Bill Murray is a robot pimp. I would, you know what? I think if I got the the Dan Aykroyd blind box, I would just return to sender and put it back out on the porch. You're you're a cold, cold, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've tried.